listening to audio from Twin Villages Church in Damariscotta, Maine. If you'd like to check out more resources, please visit twinvillageschurch.org. So we are going to be um, in 1 John chapter 5, uh, verses 6 through 12, and, and Lord willing, we will finish up 1 John next week. Um, but we have this beautiful passage now that we'll be, we'll be talking about um, here this morning. And if you, as we kind of just kind of get ourselves oriented here, we think about last week um, and the, the conversation we had about just how the object of our faith matters, and it's that proper belief in Jesus. Um, that's the mark of the Christian life, and it actually, it should transform our lives. It should transform our lives in a sense of loving one another. It should transform our lives in the sense of being obedient to God. And so our faith matters, and the object of our faith matters deeply, and faith and love and obedience, it's all kind of interconnected and kind of, all they all kind of work together. And so the, our faith in God shows itself in our love for one another and our obedience to His commands. And ultimately, it's that finished work of Jesus um, that guarantees us the victory, ultimate, ultimate victory. And so now John is going to kind of, what happens here with this, with this portion now is he's, he's kind of landing the plane, if you will, on this letter. He's going to kind of draw things to a close, and this is kind of the first part um, of, that, of that work that he's going to do, because 1 John 5, 6 to 12 kind of rings similar to 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, and they're almost, it almost serves as like an anchor um, to this letter. If you remember, he opened up with this affirmation of who Jesus is and what he's done and how he was an eyewitness to that, and now he's going to kind of conclude in the same way, only he's not really concerned about his witness, right? He's concerned about the testimony of God concerning his son. And so let me read for us um, 1 John 5, verses 6 through 12. I'll ask you to please stand um, while I read this. And what you'll, you may notice when I read this is that there's a certain word that's repeated eight times. Um, and that will give you an idea of kind of what Paul's, or Paul, excuse me, John is, is driving at here. So 1 John chapter 5, verses 6 through 12 says this. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the bloods. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the bloods. And these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar, because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life, Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for this morning. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to be here um, as a church, Lord, to gather in this location, Lord, to have opportunity to fellowship and to sing and to pray, Lord, and now to hear from you through your words. 
Lord, I pray that you would give us ears to hear. I pray that you would give us minds to understand. Lord, I pray that you would give us hearts to, be, to, to want to change and to seek to please you and honor you in all that we say and all that we do. Lord, we, we are thankful that you are a God who, who speaks um, and who communicates to your people. So I pray that you would help us um, in this, Lord, that you would give us a desire to, to love you more, Lord, and to, to seek to please you and honor you. And I pray this all in your name. Amen. So you might have noticed that the word testimony um, or testify um, eight times um, in the ESV translation. Um, if you go to the Greek, it's actually 10. Um, so obviously, what John wants to communicate to these people and to us is the importance of the testimony of God concerning his son and that there's more than enough evidence to believe the testimony that God has given us concerning his son. His son is the one who gives us eternal life if we believe in him. And so what we're going to do this morning, we'll take this in a few sections. So the first section is going to be those verses 6 through 9, right? And what we're going to do here is just unpack the details of God's testimony first and foremost. It's concerning his son, Jesus, who came by water and blood. And now the Holy Spirit also testifies about Jesus because the Holy Spirit is is truth. And so we start thinking about this water and blood. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is truth. So those first two things that testify is the water and the bloods. The water is referring to the, the, the uh, baptism. So if you go back, if you go to like Mark chapter 1 and you read about the baptism of Jesus, that is what John is referring to when he says the water testifies. And then the blood testifies. And that is Christ's crucifixion. That is him on the cross. That's the blood he shed for the covering of our sins. And so what John gives us is kind of these bookends to the ministry of Jesus. His baptism, when his ministry started, right? And then his earthly ministry started, and then the blood, the crucifixion, right? Calvary, um, at the end of his earthly ministry. That's those two pieces of evidence. John doesn't lay out the miracles, the healings, the casting out of demons, the calming of the sea. He doesn't give us any of that. He says, it, you, all you need to know is his baptism and his crucifixion. That is the evidence that you need. Because remember, if we, as we went through the book of Mark a few, a few years ago now, right? the people were drawn to the miracles. The people were drawn to the show and to the spectacle. And John is saying, you don't need those. You need his baptism and you need his crucifixion. So it made me think about the two sacraments that we celebrate at TVC, baptism and communion. Baptism, right? That starting point of Jesus' ministry, baptism for the believer is that first step of obedience. When you come to Christ, you, you're to be baptized. You're to make this public profession of uniting with Christ and believing in him alone for salvation. And you think of communion, 
that weekly re reminder, that weekly renewal of that commitment that was made when you were baptized about your faith in Christ, that, that the maintenance, if you will, of that relationship in confessing sin. Those bookends of the ministry of Christ is what we celebrate and what we remember as a church. That drives home the significance. And we can oftentimes think a lot about communion, right? But sometimes baptism takes a back seat. They're both important. And they both serve as evidence in the life and the ministry of Christ. And we think back to 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, right? That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, right? And the life was made manifest. And John goes on and says, he's an eyewitness. But he's saying here, I, I, I'm an eyewitness and that, that's really good. But guess what? The Holy Spirit testifies to this. The Holy Spirit bears witness because the Holy Spirit is truth. And John was an apostle. John had a divinely given authority to preach and to teach. But he's saying the Holy Spirit's testimony is, is better. And if the Holy Spirit is testifying to this, in all reality, that should settle it for us. Well, how does the Holy Spirit testify? Well, it, it testified at his at his baptism. Remember when Jesus was baptized, the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus like a dove. The Holy Spirit was there, and then there's the voice of God. This is my beloved Son in who I am well pleased. The Holy Spirit bears testimony in, in the scriptures that we have, the Bible that we have. These, these, these people, these men who, who wrote the Bible and wrote these books that we have contained here, these 66 books in this book, they are carried along by the Holy Spirit. They were inspired by the Holy Spirit to write, and that gives testimony to Jesus and who he is. This book is about Jesus, the life and the ministry of Jesus, God's plan of redemption that was fulfilled ultimately in Jesus. Jesus is the hero of the Bible, and so this bears testimony to Jesus. The Holy Spirit testifies to the truth of Jesus and the truth of God's word when we hear the word of God preached and we hear the word of God proclaimed and our hearts are, are quickened, our hearts kind of warm up to when we hear the word of God preaching and pre preached and taught. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and in our lives. The Holy Spirit is alive and well and working in each and every one of us. The Holy Spirit bears testimony to Christ. But there's so many different ways that the Holy Spirit works in us as believers. The Holy Spirit gives us spiritual life. That's John 6, 63. The Holy Spirit gives us spiritual gifts for godly living and service. It's 1 Corinthians 12. It produces, the Holy Spirit produces spiritual growth. That's Galatians 5, 22 to 23. The Holy Spirit guides, Galatians 5, 16 to 18. The Holy Spirit instructs, John 14, 26. The Holy Spirit assures us of our, of our position with God, 1 John 4, 13. The Holy Spirit opens our hearts and minds to, to understand the word of God, 1 Corinthians 2, 12. The Holy Spirit convicts people of sin and righteousness and judgment, John 16, 8. The Holy Spirit unifies believers and unites us and holds us together, as Philippians 2, 1 through 2. 
The Holy Spirit bears witness about who Jesus was and what he did. And that same Spirit that bears witness indwells in us and does all that work in our lives. It's God's testimony concerning Jesus, who came by water and by blood. And it's the Holy Spirit that testifies to these truths, these unshakable truths. And then in verses 7 and 8, we get this, he, just in case we, we don't fully understand maybe what he was saying, John kind of unpacks it a little bit for us. He says, for these for there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these all agree. And so what John is doing here, right? he's appealing, I believe, back to the Old Testament teaching that every charge must be confirmed by two or three witnesses. That's Deuteronomy chapter 17 and uh, chapter 19. So two or three witnesses makes a statement right, in, in that legal system back then true. That principle is carried over into the New Testament. It wasn't left back in the old. It's carried through in the new. If you look at Matthew chapter 18, right? And when we, when we have an issue with a brother, we go to that person one-on-one, -on -one, right? And if they agree with us, we've won our brother. But if, if they don't, right, then we bring what? One or two with us to go have that conversation. So that means there's going to be witnesses of one, of at least two, if not three people going when we confront, lovingly confronts. So that same idea continues. And so what John is saying here is like, listen, all three of these, the spirit and the water and the blood, they're testifying about Christ, about who he was, and they all agree. All right? It's not just that they testify about it. It's not just that they're, they're making claims about it, but all of those three testimonies Right? The, water and the, spirit, the water and the blood and the spirit, they're working together to show us about who Jesus was and what he did, and they arrive at the exact same conclusion, all three of them, that Jesus is the Messiah, he is the Son of God. So the Holy Spirit is bearing witness to this as well. The Holy Spirit is bringing this, the historical significance of the baptism of Jesus, the historical significance of the crucifixion of Jesus. It says, listen, he was, he was on this earth. He physically walked on this earth and ministered on this earth. He was proclaiming the kingdom of God. And we hear those things, and the Holy Spirit is the one that presses those truths into our hearts. That Jesus came for us. The Holy Spirit tells us that Jesus came to us. right? The water in the blood, he came to us, but he also came for us. And those truths are pressed deep within our hearts. It's the Holy Spirit that opens up our eyes and our hearts and our minds to understand the wonder and the glory that is Jesus and his gospel. The Holy Spirit bears testimony along with the, the water and the blood. And those three agree. And that, quite frankly, are the only three that you need. And John is speaking very bluntly here. And we'll, we'll get to that in, in, even in a little bit further. This, this is a very kind of like staccato way that he's writing. It's just boom, 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 boom. 
there's no wiggle room. There's no loopholes here. It's just straight. Because then he says this in verse 9, right? It's, it's the greatness of God's testimony. If we receive the testimony of men, if two or three men testifying make something true, right, the testimony of God is greater. Because this is the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. The word born is another is testimony in, in, in Greek. That's why there's 10 of them. He's born as concerning his son. He's spoken to us concerning his son. John had authority to preach and to teach. He was an apostle. But it wasn't his authority. It was this God-given authority. So when John is speaking about the testimony of God, when John is writing about Christ, when you read those first four verses in 1 John chapter 1, he's writing about God's testimony concerning Jesus. That's why he's so passionate when he writes. That's why he continually is going back and recircling back around and making sure he hits every angle they can possibly think of to make sure you understand that this is God's testimony about his son, Jesus. And, he, and he's making an argument here in verse 9. It's an argument from, from lesser to greater, and it's a pretty common way that they would write back then. And so literally, verse 9 will read something like this. If we accept the testimony of men, then we should accept the greater testimony of God. God has spoken clearly through the water and through the blood and through the Holy Spirit. It's three, test three witnesses. That's all you need. If you're going to take the testimony and witness of three men on this earth, and you're not going to take the testimony of God, the creator and sustainer of all life, who gave us Christ, who, who met our deepest needs for reconciliation back to him and paying for our sin, who sent his son Jesus, who came in the flesh and died and rose again and has ascended into heaven. If you're, you're not going to believe that when you believe the testimony of men. God's testimony is greater. It's greater. You can almost hear him say, how dare you? God's testimony is always better than man's testimony. The water and the blood and the spirit are sufficient to know that it's truth and that it can be trusted. And there's a lot of other proofs, but you just need those three, and that is sufficient for you to understand and to know and to believe who Jesus was and what he has done for you. And then we get to verse 10. And verse 10 can make us feel a little bit uncomfortable, right? We feel like, ah, Paul, John doesn't have a whole lot of compassion right here. He should probably be a little bit more compassionate. But I think you see the heart of John as he's writing this. When he says, whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him, that's God, a liar. Because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. When you look at the testimony of God, when you look at how clearly God has communicated Jesus to this world, you only are left with two options, two ways to respond to this. Either you believe it or you don't. 
And if you don't believe it, you make God a liar. That's not popular. That's not being overly compassionate to people. But John is deeply concerned for the eternal fate of men's souls. And he wants to make sure that they understand that there's only two options that they have. Either you believe who Jesus was and what he's done, or you don't. And if you don't, you make God a liar. If you do, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. That testimony dwells inside of you. It changes the way you live your life. You're going to love one another. You're going to obey God's commands because of Christ and what he's done for you. You cannot be neutral on this. God has spoken clearly. What are you going to do? If you believe it, if you believe the true testimony that God has given us concerning Jesus Christ, it's, it's, it's within you, it's internalized within you, it, it changes your heart, it changes the way that you live. You hold fast to that commitment. Even when you see the world around you collapsing and falling apart, and you continually are scratching, going, what, are we really going down this road now? You hold fast to the truth of Christ and who he is. If you don't, you make God a liar. How, how, how do you make God a liar? Well, God's spoken clearly. He's acted deliberately. He's given us what we need to understand it, to know who Jesus was. And so if we act indifferently towards that and kind of like, oh, yeah, that's cute, whatever, right? You're, you're provoking God to his face. You're saying, yeah, I don't believe who you say Jesus was. You can't say that you believe in God and then not believe in what God says. Now, people will, will flat out reject the gospel. They'll flat out reject Jesus. People will try to, to mix and match. And what I mean by that is that people will try to, to take a little the things they like about Christianity, but they also think like, well, that Buddhism's kind of cool too. So I'll take a little bit of Buddhism and mix that in with Christianity, and I'll take this and mix this in. They build their own religions. They're making God a liar. If you show disinterest in the things of God, if you show disinterest in Christ, if you just kind of disregard it and like, eh, whatever. If you say, well, Jesus, you know, he is a way. He's not the only way. There, there's other ways that you can get to God. You make God a liar. When you believe that it's Jesus plus something else, Jesus plus good works, Jesus plus this, you, you make God a liar. I mean, all those things are rooted in pride. All those things are rooted in that we know better than God knows. When we think about our personal lives, when we think about our own personal growth, when we think about our own journey and this Christian life, 
and we hear those words about making God a liar, we can sit here and say, like, I would never make God a liar, <laughs> right? But, but we have to be on guard. And I think that's part of the reason why John is so unapologetically harsh, right? Because although we may never say, we never use the words, God is a liar, we can very easily and subtly move and live in such a way where our life shows that we do believe that God is, is, is a liar. And we don't do what God calls us to do. When our lives don't reflect the belief that, that Jesus is, is the Messiah, he's the, he's the Son of God, He's redeemed me, but we still pursue our own wants and desires. We make God a liar. Ready for this? Ready? I'm going to read you a quote. That the quote is, I'm going to probably stumble over the name, the last name. Uh, the first name is Rudolph. Um, the second, the last name is Schnackenberg, I believe. Um, and he says this about, about verse 10. He says, to reject the testimony of God is therefore a serious evil, and to oppose it is a futile project. John is pleading with these people in these churches in and around Ephesus, right? John is, by extension now, pleading with us, Twin Villages Church, the people of this church, <laughs> to understand who, who Jesus is and to, and to believe it. And if we believe it, then we're going to live a certain way. We're going to be pursuing certain things. And if we receive that, if we believe that Jesus is the Son, we have this testimony inside of us and it's to change and to transform our lives. And if we don't, right, if people don't, they're making God a liar. Doesn't that fuel evangelism? Like people even just prayed this morning. But we have assurance of our faith. And even in, that, in the harshness of verse 10, there's assurances littered in here, right? We're, we're called to, to believe God. He's given us the testimony that we need with the water and, and the blood and the Holy Spirit. We're to believe his testimony about his son. We're to believe that Jesus physically and literally came to this earth. God came to earth in the form of in Jesus Christ. It's the incarnation. God himself came into this world and got involved in the messiness and the evil and the sin of this world. God speaks words that are true. His actions are good. And so to set that aside and to say that it's not important and to disregard what he's done is to make him a liar. To not live in light of the gospel, the greatest act, the greatest display of love ever is to make him a liar. It's to make the testimony of this historic event of God coming to earth, living a perfect sinless life, laying down that life and dying, paying for our sins on the cross, taking the wrath of God for those sins upon himself, giving up that life, 
being raised three days later, ascending into heaven and sitting at the right hand of God the Father to take all of that and say, that's not worthy of my time. No, we're called to believe God and what he has done. We're called to believe in the Son of God. Right? That takes surrender. That takes humility to believe in the Son of God that we can't fix this by ourselves. God had to fix it, and he did through Jesus. When we believe God's, when we believe in the Son of God's, we have this testimony inside of us. Your life just oozes it. Right? You just can't help talking about God. You can't help talking about Jesus and what he's done. You realize that it's only God through Jesus who satisfies the deepest longing and the deepest, most desperate need of any person, of our hearts and of our souls. And when we believe this, there's this welling up that takes place in, in our hearts. And it's an inward transformation and it just spills out. And it's unquestionable. You think back to what John was dealing with when he wrote this letter to these churches. These people who had left, these people who were denying the incarnation and who were denying that Jesus actually came to this earth and, and, and lived and worked and ministered and gave up his life. And John is saying in no uncertain terms is that those who are talking that way and teaching that way, they're liars. And you don't listen to them. Because there are eternal implications. Verses 11 and 12. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life and this life is in his son. Whoever has the Son has life, and whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. It's important that we, 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 we linger here for just a moment, because part of the issue that John is dealing with here is not, is not the fact that there, there isn't eternal life. Right? The, the, the people that he was talking about, those that had left, right? they, they, would, they would say that there is eternal life. But it's not necessarily through Christ. Right? They're denying the incarnation, who Jesus was. The issue is, which side of this debate do you fall on? If you're going to side with those who have left... And we're teaching a, a false gospel who are, the remember, the Antichrist, the lower A Antichrists, you do not have life. They do not have life. John says, you, you've, heard, you've heard my testimony, right? I have this divine authority to teach and to proclaim God's words, and I'm doing that. But the testimony of God is greater He's showed us between the water and the blood and the Holy Spirit. His is the greatest testimony. That's all you need. If you side there, then you have life. 
Jonah's concern for the souls of these people. He's not saying if you don't if you don't believe God and you don't believe Jesus that you're 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 kind of off a little bit. We need to make a few little tweaks here. Like you're good, but you could be better. That's not what John is saying. Right? John's saying you know you're 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 a liar. You're making you're making God a liar. That's how seriously he's taking this question of Jesus and making sure that they get that Jesus question right. He's making Jesus the focus. He's making the gospel of Jesus Christ the focus and that you have to get that right. And this testimony that God has given us about Jesus is not vague. It's not some spiritual inkling or a little tingly feeling that we may feel. It's got weight to it. There's meat to it. There's substance to it. It's about the incarnation. It's about the life, death, and resurrection and ascension of Jesus. And that's the only way that God has made eternal life available. There's no other way. Life is wrapped up in his son, Jesus. Eternal life is life that lasts forever. It's eternal, right? That's why it's eternal life. We will be with Christ forever. And John, I believe, has that idea in his mind, but John is taking that idea of eternal life and he's pushing it now into the present and say, you, to have eternal life is to have it now in, in Christ. You've identified yourselves with, with Christ. You, you, you know who he is and what he's done for you. And so, in essence, you have eternal life now in you. You've got that guarantee. Remember, you have the victory. And what is the victory? Our faith. Our faith in Christ. Yeah, you, you're going to have it for all of eternity, but you have it now. And so the question about God's testimony and accepting God's testimony is not strictly an academic exercise and all about up here. It transforms your heart. It's inside of you. It's got to move about 12 inches south into your heart, and it changes your life. Don't don't you hear... Jesus' words in John 14, 6. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It is this bold appeal that John is making to the people of the church. It's a bold appeal that John is making to, to us. He hasn't waffled and wavered on any of this. He shoots unbelievably straight. God has spoken. He's given us testimony. He's given us all the testimony that we need. Believe. Believe. The only way that you're going to have eternal life 
The only way that you're going to be truly alive and live is to believe in Jesus Christ and all that he has done for you. This, this, this text is, is very, like I said, very kind of staccato. It can seem, it's very clear. It's very bold. Um, but it's not meant to be, I don't believe, callous or harsh. I believe what John is saying is like, this matters greatly. And sometimes... Speaking a bold word, sometimes speaking a, a harsh word, is the most loving thing that can be done. John is battling for this church by the grace of God, through the work of the Holy Spirit in his life. He's battling for this church. He's battling for the souls of those people. He does not want to see them led astray. He speaks clearly about the exclusivity of Jesus. He's the only way to life, and God has spoken. He's shown you clearly that eternal life is only through his son, Jesus Christ. So for the non-Christian who may be sitting in this room, who may be listening online or will listen online maybe later this week. It's a call to believe in Jesus. It's a call to believe that he is the only true way of salvation. He's the only way, he's the only one who gives us eternal life. He's the only one who solves the problem of this, of this world and the brokenness of this world. God has given the evidence of that. He's spoken clearly. This should fuel our gospel conversations that we have with people. Because the only way that someone's going to come to salvation is to hear the gospel. Read Romans 10, verses 14 through, through 17. Those conversations matter deeply because eternity is at stake. And so when we share the gospel, right, we're, we're sharing about God's testimony concerning his son, Jesus Christ, the, the greatest testimony ever. Those conversations matter deeply. Because it's only through Christ that eternal life is, is achieved. It's the only way in submitting and humbling yourself to, to Christ. It should, fuel our, it should fuel our worship. It should fuel the way that we, we sing songs. <laughs> we're singing a song after, after communion. It's the last song we're singing. Christ, our hope in life and death. And I'll tell you this, that we, that we picked these songs well in, in advance. Um, we are blessed to have just really good music people um, in this church. And we, we sit down and we go through and they, they know the text and we sit there and pick these songs out. Um, but for me, 
personally this week, I can't get this song out of my head. I think about my mom, my dad, can't get it out of my head. It's kind of like God knew that we needed to sing this song this week. But it should fuel the way that we worship. It should, when we understand and when we recognize that God has provided salvation, and that God has met our deepest, most desperate need, that's to be reconciled back to God, is to have our sins forgiven and atoned for, so that we can have life, eternal life, and we can be made right with God. Right? That, that, that should just, when we understand that and come to terms with that, and that He's made it so abundantly clear, that should fuel the way that we worship and sing. When we come down front here in a few moments and, and take communion together, right? It, it, should, it should fuel the way we think about what, what we're participating in. This, this is the testimony of the goodness of God and, and, the, and Christ. When we think about our relationships, when we think about our, our GGCs and our small groups and just getting together for cups of coffee and sharing a meal together and huddling around a table talking about systematic theology and all those things that we do here, rooted and thrive and the fellowship breakfast and all fellowship lunches, all these things that happen, right? Speaking the gospel matters, right? There's such a beauty and such power that comes through speaking the gospel to one another and to sharing the way that God is working and moving in our lives. And we can speak with such confidence and boldness because of what God has done for us through His Son, Jesus Christ. And how we live matters. How we relate to one another matters. How we talk to one another matters. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. And whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank You for this morning. Lord, I thank You for this time that we've had in Your words Lord, it's my prayer that you would take these truths of your word, Lord, that you would take the truths of the testimony of your son concerning your son, Jesus, Lord, and they would be lodged deep within our hearts. Lord, that maybe we would believe them and, and, and recognize the power there in a, in, a, in a new way this morning. Lord, that we would respond to the truths of your word, that we would respond to your gospel. Lord, that we would be in awe of the fact that you have given us eternal life through your Son. And we have believed in that testimony and your Spirit who lives inside and dwells inside each and every heart of the believer is doing a work to, to hold us fast and to grow us in our love of you. And I pray this all in your name.
Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio from Twin Villages Church in Damariscotta, Maine. Feel free to share this message with others, and for more information about Twin Villages Church, visit TwinVillagesChurch.org. Soli Deo Gloria. Thank you.